great day yesterday. Um, we, we had a really powerful presence in Ravenna. Um, great outreach. A lot of connections. Um, we're very grateful. I'm grateful to see how good we are at that type of thing. You know, gives us great hope, doesn't it, Eric, that, we, you know, this is, we're going somewhere. We have saw great results from the last time we went out, and we'll continue to see that. Um, I want to look today, again, second, time, second week of our series upon the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, which is how we grow the fruit of the Spirit. And today, the focus is going to be on the works of the flesh, the opposite. In your NIV, because the NIV is the Pew Bible, it says sinful nature, I believe. I keep forgetting that as I've used other Bibles, and I'm, you know, I don't mind whichever one we use, but I have to remember, your Bible will say sinful nature, I think. And that it, I'm going to probably use the word flesh, it's just what I'm used to when I talk about Galatians chapter 5. When we lived in Pennsylvania, we were pretty close to Punxsutawney. Now, what is Punxsutawney famous for? Phil. See, he's, Phil is a huge celebrity. He's like the Beatles. <laughs> and it was interesting that people got up at 4 in the morning. Some people stayed all night. February 2nd, guess what it's like in Punxsutawney on that day? It's cold. <laughs> Cold, and they get up in the middle of the night and they go to the square in Punxsy and um, wait for Phil to see if he saw his shadow. Anyone want to camp out with me overnight next? <laughs> now, you have to understand, the whole world descends on Punxsutawney. It's a town of 5,747 people in the whole municipality. It is almost exactly the same size as Shalersville. Yeah. Have you ever seen the national media descend on Shalersville? No, okay, I didn't think so. So imagine this, this town this size, here they are, descending on the town, and um, they're waiting to see if a groundhog named Phil sees his shadow. Now, if Phil sees his shadow, we will have six more weeks of winter. Of course, we all know, whatever happens with Phil, we in Ravenna, and in Punxsy, we're not going to have six more weeks in winter. We're going to have more than that. <laughs> so what is the... But thousands go into the bitter cold. Millions watch on TV around the world to see if Phil sees his shadow. Today, we have a shadow that does matter, though. One that we need to look at. One that we need to be aware of. If we don't see it, we could be blindsided in spiritual warfare in the battle to live the Christian life. And that shadow is the flesh, known as the flesh. In your NIV, as I said, it says the sinful nature. Let's look at verse 16 through 25 of Galatians chapter 5, shall we? And then we're going to look at the shadow, the shadow nature. So I say, verse 16, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you not do, do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. This is going to be a lot of our focus today. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, we have pretty big imaginations on how many ways there are to sin. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We can stop there for the moment. The shadow, the flesh, let's just define what that is. The, the sinful nature, which is probably a good translation. Now, the flesh, it's important to note it's not the physical body. The physical body cooperates with the flesh, to say the least. But when we see this term, it's sinful nature, it's, it's our tendencies to oppose God. I don't know how else to put it. Oh, yeah, okay, let's talk about this. I forgot I even sent that. Thank you, Marin. The way I learned this battle is you've got Fred, and he is right now thinking about stealing the uh, sweepstake ticket from Barney, uh, from, from the um, flower canister. Remember this one? Who remembers this one? Okay, I want to know who's cultured here and who isn't. So, <laughs> Okay, and of course he's got his two natures, and the angel is saying, no, Fred, don't do it. Don't take the ticket. It's Barney's ticket. That's not nice. And, and this devil's about to go, ah, get out of here. <laughs> That's kind of how we experience it. It's not really like this, but we experience it something like that when we face the battle between the flesh and the spirit, do we not? Isn't that how it seems that we're, we're kind of in this battle and um, there's two sides poking at us, trying to prod us, the flesh versus the spirit. But the... The spirit is our shadow nature. It's the dark side. The flesh is the dark side of us. It's where we get the tendencies. You know, you think we do things, we think things that, why did I think that? How could I think that? How could I do that? Why did I react that way? Because the flesh is fighting against the work of the spirit in our lives. I think here the spirit refers to the work of the spirit in our spirit. You know, that seems to be what is, it's not just the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, let's talk about the flesh versus the Spirit. In fact, let's just go right to the flesh in action. Because we want to look at what happens when the flesh wins. What happens when as we walk in the Spirit, but the flesh is warring and we give in? How does the flesh manifest itself? It isn't pretty. If you're looking for a core, it's self-centeredness. You know, I run my life. Jesus, I got the wheel. And you can come for the ride if you want. I want you along for the ride. We all love Jesus. He loves us, but I'm driving the bus. That's the flesh. It's important to note one thing. Christianity is not about self-improvement or moralism. 
Christianity is about self-denial. It's about conquering the selfish self. So much you see today is about how to be empowered. In, you need to be empowered in and of yourself to be who you were meant to be. I'll agree with that if they're, what they're saying is you need to be who Jesus wants you to be and who he's made you to be. But we do not exist to find ourselves in and of ourselves, in and of what we bring to the table. We exist to walk with Jesus and be remade by him and to grow the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of self-will, not the fruit of good citizenship that comes from our own initiative and definition. That's important because there's so much of that going around. And just realize we want to be what God wants us to be. That's what's important. The shadow plays on that. So let's remember what we're talking about here. The sec- let's look first at sexual sins. Okay, The flesh in action. When, when we say yes to the, to the flesh, the shadow, we see sexual sins like sexual immorality, which is any sexual practice outside of God's design. Impurity. Impurity is the uncleanness of heart and mind that come when we indulge in sexually immor- immoral stuff. Okay, so that's in the inner sense. And sensuality, this is where we be, sensuality is simply the idea that um, we get kind of, this is kind of a stronghold, this is kind of a bondage. You know, when we, we, we allow ourselves to think on sexual things, we allow ourselves to dwell there and desire and partake, and we become sensual in this sense, in the, way, in the sense that we, um, we're in bondage to sensuality. You ever see, you know, I don't hesitate to use, I hesitate to use this example, but I remember being with somebody who we were out in public, and his he was like this, looking at women. His mother warned me about it. She said he's in total bondage to sensuality, and he was. That's an extreme example, but that's what it is. It's like we're just, and so we are also then usually enslaved to other sensual pleasures as well or at least a couple others. Okay. By the way, let me mention that the, perhaps the single area where the early church most radically transformed the ancient world was this one. You have to understand that sensuality permeated Roman society, okay, where, the, where Galatia was. Their, they, their worship, much of their pagan worship, involved pagan prostitution. It, their society involved all kinds of perverse things. We, can't, we say, oh, our society is gone. We can't even imagine what they lived with back then. We can't even imagine the condition of marriage, which was strictly a contract for, for those of prominence in particular. Concubines were expected. Um, And then there were other avenues in which men went for pleasure that were public. Orgiastic, is that a word? And just rank. So when the early church came along and held up these standards, which they did, they shocked the Roman world. They're going to ruin our society. Now think about our society today. 
and the desire for sexual freedom, to, trans, to turn upside down the biblical, sexual, uh, biblical sexuality, and you understand, because that's how it was for them. You people are crazy, you're oppressive, you're going to ruin any sense of fun, identity, and purpose we have, because I got to be me. I don't want to be me. You want to be you? I want to be me as God made me to be through the power of the Spirit. We want to be like Jesus, not like I think I want to be. Biblical sexuality is one of the areas. Um, and um, it was a created in Genesis. We are male and female. And sexuality is something that's designed for monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. That's biblical sexuality. And there's, that's it. Now, when I say that's it, I don't mean to make it sound like we're narrow and no, don't want any fun. The reality is that's where it's safe and best. And that's how it works best. And that's how God designed us. Outside of there is the work of the flesh, the work of the sinful nature, trying to distort what God has given us. Don't need to talk about it a lot because you see it every time you walk out those doors. Right? And biblical sexuality is coming under more and more attack by our society. That's to be expected if we're really preaching the gospel. This is going to be a battle. Okay, so the works of the flesh. First of all, we have the shadow nature and sexual sins, then religious sins. In religious sins, go on, it's idolatry, and it says witchcraft or sorcery are two religious sins. Worshiping false god, idolatry, we worship idols. Now, we're told to flee from idols in our lives, and we shouldn't participate in idolatrous activities, false gods. But we also learn in Colossians 3.5 that covetousness, is greed, is idolatry. We learn that in Ephesians 5.2. What we learn is that the desire for things, the desire to put things in the place of God, the desire to fulfill our needs, our, 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 to fulfill ourselves, to find ourselves in stuff and money, is idolatry. To find ourselves in our hobbies, in our in our work. Even family is an idolatry in some places. We want to look like we have a great family, and if we don't, we fake it. You know, you know it's out there. You may be it. Okay, let's be real. Their idolatry can be, I want to show what a good Christian I am. Don't you hate when people say, I want to be a good Christian. Oh, boy. Because the, the fruit of the Spirit tells us that's not a helpful phrase. But there are people that literally will, I, I've seen them start to sweat and their eyes, but as, as, as there's a challenge to the fact that they're a good Christian. And they have to hide and, make, and look good somehow. As a matter of fact, I'd say that's probably the first method of sanctification I learned. Thankfully, it didn't last long, and it wasn't what was actually taught by the church, but, you know, it was the people I hung around with. you got to learn how to look good. You got to look how to how to look like a Christian, sound like a Christian. Sorcery, by the way, the, or, or witchcraft, as it says in our Bible, what is that doing here? Uh, the the word is pharmakia, which of course you can hear pharmacy in there because that's it's about potions. 
It's about worshiping other gods, faking the supernatural by giving mind-altering substances. In, in, there was a, in ancient worship, what, they used prostitution, they used sensuality, and they also used drugs. They also used altered states of consciousness to get in touch with the gods. In, in Pergamum, there was a big, big hill, and they would go through a process. They also used snakes, but I don't even want to talk about that. But they would, get, they would get high on potions and they'd sleep on the floor where snakes were crawling around. My flesh would be killed, meaning my body. I would die. Okay. But now we have never in our society tried to use mind-altering drugs to get in touch with the divine, have we? <laughs> yeah, that was a big thing at one time. It probably still is in different ways. Remember this person I like, love dearly, Eric Clapton, but remember this ridiculous song, She Don't Lie, She Don't Lie, She Don't Lie, Cocaine. All she does is lie. She don't know how to tell the truth. She don't give you the real picture of anything. That's the dumbest song. But that, so so, but it's worship of gods. It's using other things to try to get in touch with the supernatural. Social sins was the third one. Now, sexuality was probably the largest impact we had that Christians had on ancient society because of the se- sexual nature of the society they lived in. But probably uh, this, another one was social issues, society as a whole. For example, they. Um, Women and children and slaves and different classes worshiped together. Early Christians reached out to the poor of other people. They didn't just reach out to the people around them that were poor. They reached out to the pagans, the poor that, that their, their neighbors and those who didn't believe in Christ. That was unheard of. I mean, kind of the morality of the day was those who are weak, who are poor, are going to have to die. That's how society is. They were very Darwinist back then when they'd never heard of it. Survival of the fittest was morality. They did, I mean, they didn't say, we're going to have to let those people die, it's terrible, I feel guilty. No, they said, that's the right thing to do. The Christians came along and said, what a bunch of immoral people that will not allow the proper course of events and will destroy the natural order and the social order. And it came into things that we see like in this list where the works of the flesh were enmity, which is hostility and hatred. I'm going to try to go through the NIV here and make sure I got it right. Hatred, discord, jealousy. You probably felt pretty good. I'm not into witchcraft. I'm not, you know. (laughs) Jealousy. How much harm is done to our lives because of jealousy? How much harm is done around us because how much harm is done to us? I learned early in this uh, this, uh, journey of being a pastor that jealousy was the source of so much evil among God's people. Fits of rage, (laughs) selfish ambition, Dissensions, so that that you know, causing discord between people. Factions, 
forming sides, us against them. Factions and envy. It, you know, envy and jealousy are very closely related. So those are the social sins. Unbelievable. I mean, I've got pages and pages. I could talk all day on this, but I don't think it's not necessarily needed because you know what these things are. These ascensions. You know, one thing that is so important to me is churches tend to run on like a, a mindset that we need a board that has representation from all the parts of the church that are going to fight each other for influence. That is not of God. That is of Washington, D.C. How good of a job are they doing? How good of a job do they do managing a budget by committee? Think about this. Think about what we want to be. Um, that, but we do need different people. We do need different mindsets. We need to hear from each other. But it's not so that we can go to battle over things. It's because the body is diversity. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's contributions. But it is not meant to be a battle. It is not meant to be hostile, adversarial. And again, this is just so contrary to society and so contrary to society back then. Um, and then there is the last category, which is indulgence sins. Again, we're just drunkenness and orgies. Um, you know, indulgence, overindulgence. Now, I will say that when I was... Um, in the pastorates I've had, it's very weird. When I was in Pennsylvania the first time, <clears throat> there was a group of people in the church that looked at me as the white-collar city slicker. <laughs> they didn't want to hear me. <clears throat> I was from Mayf coming from Mayfield, Ohio. <clears throat> I'm really from Maple Heights. I'm anything but white-collar. <laughs> when I went to New York... I was the blue collar guy. They called me Pastor Everyman. <clears throat> and the other pastor represented the management. And there are actually people that think of pastors as management and resist them out of envy. Because I was a man, there were people I had problems with because they were women and I was a man and they didn't like men. So if I tried to be directive in any way, I was being a controlling man. Of course, I came to preach Jesus, the gospel. <clears throat> How about if we take up with great unrelenting zeal the cause of overcoming our shadow so that we can look at one another, pastors included and everybody else, not with envy and suspicion and division, but with love and unity. How about if we get on the same team? And have the same purpose. That because all other things are the works of the flesh, the shadow. Okay. Well, let's talk about a few. You'll notice, um, first of all, that this is a diverse list. It's possible to think you're pretty solid on some things, but not on others. For example, Christians have at times been notorious for opposing 
drinking and R-rated movies, but gossiping like a local matchmaker. Have you, I've, I've sat with cohabitating couples who were extraordinarily overprotective of what their children are exposed to, and they were rebuking the church's children's ministry for the way they were doing things as they went home unmarried with their families. I used to sit and look at them and go, I'm not even sure if I should say anything. I don't even know what, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 but you've, I've, I've dealt with that. Um, I had a gal who for four years fought me, fought me, fought me. See, do you remember this? She wanted to teach the children. She was cohabitating, so she wasn't able to do that. She fought me for four years before they finally got married. But why are you, why are you doing this and fighting for this? I didn't get it. I don't mean people that are sinning. We're all sinning. I'm not saying they're not welcome, but when you, you don't want to take up a position of teaching or authority in the church when you're involved in something like that, right? Are we agreed on that, that that's inappropriate? Okay, I want to make sure. What, what if they all think that's okay? I'm in trouble here. <laughs> they, I, I see there's a bonfire out there. I guess it's for me. <laughs> but it's like, why are you, you know, the flesh is deceptive. God has called me to do this. Well, he, me, that may be, but he hasn't called you to do it at this time in this condition. Okay. Um, so it's tricky. And notice what it says at the end of the list of the flesh. I'm sorry I'm not going into more detail on those things, although I'd rather not talk about them. I think most of us get a pretty good sense what they are. But he says in verse 21, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he does not say, if you've ever done things like this, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's not the point. We've all done things like this. Most of us today have done something, right? He's saying, if this is your continual lifestyle, minus the struggle of verse 17, which says the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. You know, someone says to me, Pastor, I can't believe the terrible things that I think about, the terrible ways I react sometimes. I hate it. And I go, good. You hate it. Why do you hate it? Because it doesn't honor God. All right. You're in the fight. Yes. The Spirit is at work on you, desiring against the flesh, as it says in verse 17 and 18. If there is no fight and we can just partake of things with no, no sense of the spirit willing against the flesh, then we got a problem. He says someone who can live like this without any problem is likely not regenerated by the Holy Spirit and probably not on their way to heaven. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, that's a very somber warning. Because, again, in our desire to say the church is about you finding yourself, we tend to overlook that scent, that part of the gospel. 
you know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. There's a perishing involved for those who have not called upon the name of Jesus in reality. And we kind of skip that over in the sense of you can have a great life. Add Jesus to it. No, don't add Jesus. It goes all to Jesus. We give everything to Jesus. Okay. Well, that's where we're headed now. Like, how do I overcome the flesh? How do I overcome the shadow? What is the, the answer? Because we're just touching all, all these things, and quite frankly, I'm living a battle. By the way, I hope you're living a battle. I don't mean I, I want you to suffer, because there is suffering, but if you, I, I, I look at everyone here and I say, oh, I pray that they're in the battle, that the spirit is lusting against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, and so you are experiencing this, you know, Fred Flintstone. Yeah. Go get him, Fred. No, don't do it, Fred. Shh. How do we overcome the flesh? We walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. Now, again, you will have the bad, you, you not get rid of the flesh, but you won't fulfill it. That's, at the end, those who live like this, who fulfill the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it, it will not come to fruition, is the word that's there. It's not saying if you have a battle with the flesh, you're on your way to hell. It doesn't say that at all. It says, as a matter of fact, when you are on your way to heaven is when you really get attacked by the flesh and by the devil. He doesn't bother with you nearly as much when you're not a Christian. Right? And the battle with the flesh, well, there is temptation and there is that for non-believers, but it's nothing like the battle Christians go through. Because you're like, temptation, sin, what, what is that? You know, it's a different thing. We know the seriousness. We know sin put Jesus on the cross. We know what it means. Most people handle the flesh this way. They say, I'm going to try harder to be a good Christian. Is that the answer? What's wrong with that answer, besides that it's not biblical? Well, what's wrong with it is that it's using the flesh to try to overcome the flesh. I'm going to try harder. Now, by the way, the Bible is not against effort. Don't, don't let me... Effort is great, but it is to be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. You know, one author says, don't try harder, try softer. We put full effort into growing as a Christian, but it's not our effort. It's following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And we see three things that represent walking in the Spirit here. The first is to keep the flesh crucified, verse 24. Look at this statement. This is, this is what Tim was saying, you know, I've never been more loved than I am right now. Start there, verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We belong to Christ Jesus. He claims us. He owns us. He's jealous for us. Start there. When we really grasp that we belong to Christ Jesus and then keep the flesh crucified. See, the battle is not neutral. What he says here is amazing. It's a, this is incredible, okay? Because we tend to think of it like the Fred Flintstone battle. We think of it like the force is good and bad. That's not what we've got going here. The flesh is a defeated foe. The devil's a defeated foe. We are victorious. We need to keep that in mind. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. But I, I, I always used to forget the last part. Who, what? Loved me and gave himself for me. That's actually where we start. And we work our way up. Remembering that he loves us. He gave himself for us. And we are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with our bodies. Paul borrows an image of crucifixion here, okay? And he says this. When we receive Jesus, we are giving ourselves, we are giving our lives, we are giving our flesh, sinful nature, putting it on the cross with Christ. Right? We are being identified. We are in Christ. We take the flesh, and it is nailed to the cross with Christ. That's repentance. It's turning our back on the old life and following Jesus. Wait a minute. You're telling me when I got saved, that's what happened? I nailed my flesh to the cross? I'm telling you that. Then, war, then why am I fighting the flesh? Well, let me ask you another question. Is crucifixion a slow or fast death? Okay. The flesh is crucified and dying and conscious, not dead. And the flesh is hurting and is going to cause us a lot of trouble on the way out. Okay? So here's what happens. Yes, we repent and believe in Jesus and the flesh is crucified. The flesh cries out to us from the cross as we're walking in the Spirit and says, I still own you. You better do what I say. That, that lady next to you, ream her out. Cuss her out good. Cut that guy off. Right? Yeah, take another drink. You can handle it. These weird people saying you can't. What's wrong? They don't know who you are. The flesh is yelling at us from the cross, dying, mad, trying to take us down and reassert control over us. And sometimes we say, yes, sir. Don't we? So it's about keeping the flesh crucified. Keeping the, keep the flesh on the cross. Not listening. John Stott, oh, what an author. He says, Having nailed our old nature to the cross, we wistfully return to the scene of its execution. We begin to fondle it, caress it, long for its release, even try to take it down again from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. <laughs> when some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It's fatal to examine it and consider whether we're going to give in or not. We do not want to resume negotiations with the enemy. We've settled the issue. Don't reopen it. We've crucified the flesh. Do not try to pull out the nails. It's a habitual weakening of sin in our lives. So the first is keep the flesh crucified. Keep the flesh crucified. I am belong to Christ. The flesh has been crucified. Keep it there. Don't let the crucified flesh tell you who you are and what you're to do. 
and the flesh lies about God all the time. God is mean. God is restrictive. God doesn't know what the modern world is like. That's true. God, but, the, but God will forgive you in the sense of go ahead and sin because God will forgive you. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Go ahead. That's why you're saved by faith because God will forgive you by his grace. Well, yes, but that's not the heart of a Christian. Paul said, God forbid that we would think that way. Right? Romans 6.1. Meganoita is the word. It's like, ugh, you sick people. How could you say that? But the devil's yelling it. The devil's got the, amp, the, mega, the megaphone holding it up to the mouth of the flesh on the cross. Tell him, God, tell him, go ahead and sin, God will forgive you. Okay. And we're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> no! Keep in step with the Spirit is next. Since we, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been born again by the Spirit, okay? I remember a pastor I worked with said this one time. He was talking about the Spirit, and he said, we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, at first, I said, well, the Spirit points us to relationship with the Father and Son, right? That's the biblical, right? I don't know about this. Then it, then it struck me as I, as I dwelt on it more and more, and the truth came to me, you know, um, the Holy Spirit, yes, we need a relationship with the Spirit. Hear me out here. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not electricity. The Holy Spirit is not water. The Holy Spirit is a person. Father, Son, Spirit. What do we have with a person? A relationship. Right? And so therefore, we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes, he points us to Christ. Yes, he points us to the Father through a relationship with him. So think of the Spirit not as, you know, what's, you know, the old... Um, I'm going to walk. Is it, if, will everything be ruined if I turn the switch off? No. Yes? <laughs> Let's take a vote. Who says yes? Oh, okay. Okay. I don't even know what does what. What did that do? Oh, okay, forget it. Okay, forget it. <laughs> I'll be embarrassed many times being new. I know that. But it's not like flipping a switch and turning on the power. It's like inviting a new person to live with you who's a guide, who walks to you all day long and always guiding you, a spiritual guide, a spiritual director. And so when we, when we walk in the Spirit, when we keep in step with the Spirit, that's a military term. The Spirit says, hut, two, three, four, and we walk because the Spirit is with us and we have a relationship and he leads us. That has transformed my life to know that you know, being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit is not like turning on a light switch. It is walking with a person. It is. So getting a relationship with the Spirit. Okay? We live by the Spirit. We are born of the Spirit. Now we walk by the Spirit. We march to His. And the last one is sowing to the Spirit. Keep sowing to the Spirit. And that's in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 6. Paul's in a different conversation. He picks up the old theme of walking in the Spirit. He says, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows his, to please his sinful nature 
from that nature will reap destruction, destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. He says this. It's like the old, you've got two dogs, which one will win the fight? The one you feed the most. Right? And if we give in to the, to the flesh, the flesh will grow in more power. If we don't give in to the flesh, we choke out the flesh's power. Yet the flesh has less place and less power in our lives. Plant seeds to the spirit. So every time I give in to gossip, the flesh grows. Remember the old veggie tales, the... The rumor weed, is that what it was when the, it, it, it grew to be the size of Montana? Yeah, because rumors keep growing and growing and growing and growing, and it's true, that's exactly. And when we give in, we, we end up in things called strongholds, which are places that we no longer even see what's right or wrong. So here's the simple challenge this morning. Simple but not easy, but it is to walk in the spirit and flush out the works of the flesh. Shine the light and eliminate the shadow by walking in the spirit. Know who we are in Christ. We are belong to Christ Jesus. The flesh is nailed there. Don't listen to the flesh. Don't give in. Don't give the flesh power. It's a crucified enemy. We've won. So don't lose to a defeated enemy. Don't lose to a disgraced enemy. And so, to the Spirit. In other words, live the gospel. John Stott is going to teach us now how to pray to walk in the Spirit. And this is what I'm going to close with. Because it's important that we think about, you know, how do we develop this relationship with God and pray for the, the life that walks in the Spirit? Here's a great example, a great sample. This was his morning prayer. Are you familiar with John Stott? He's an incredible author, incredible Bible scholar. No longer with us on this life. But he says, good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you, Savior and Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, I worship you, sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you may fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy. Peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Amen. From this point on, we're going to take up, come on up, yeah, it's fine, come on up. We're going to take up one fruit of the Spirit, one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit at a time. I confess to you that I followed the flesh in one way this morning. I wanted to teach the works of the flesh, and any, any remaining background material on the fruit of the Spirit that I had, which could take up hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, we will be giving a lighter load, and we will be going to look at one piece of this fruit at a time, and we will be taking up John Stott's daily prayer as our own. 
I will make it available because what we want to do is we want this series on walking in the spirit not just to become something we learn so we can discuss it with our Christian friends and wow them, but so we can live by the spirit and bear the fruit of the spirit.